in 2 Timothy, beginning in chapter 1. We like to read God's Word and then honor His Word by bringing forward with comment. But in and of itself, the Word is powerful and brings life. So reading the Scripture aloud is an important part in listening and hearing and considering what the Lord would have us do is not just for the task of the preacher, but for the hearer of the Word. I invite you to follow along as a listener, either in your copy of the Scriptures or on the screen behind me. 2 Timothy chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. If you've been in the faith for some time, you probably recognize these verses at the very end. Depending on the translation of the scripture that you use, we'd say God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind or self-control. I encourage you to pray this scripture, to believe this scripture, to stand on it. God has given you His Spirit, and His Spirit always brings ability and power, always brings love, and brings self-discipline, self-control. It's likely, and my children can attest, that I pray this scripture over them every morning before they go to school. That the Lord would bless them, not with the spirit of anxiety or fear, which prevails among us but that we'd move past that and accept the grace given by the Holy Spirit and say, today I'm going to live in the ability of the Holy Spirit. Today I'm going to live in the power. Today I'm going to live in the love. Today I'm going to live in His self-control. What I want to draw our attention to this morning is these somewhat strange verses to our ear. Because when we're in the church, we focus in on these key phrases, key verses, but sometimes we neglect or gloss over or in our casual reading we even don't give consideration to the simple words of this salutation. Timothy's receiving a letter. Some have, because of the date of the letter and the occasion of the letter, assumed that this is the farewell address, that Paul is now resigning his ministry, that Paul is perhaps going to be persecuted even to the point of death, and so he's basically making sure that he's handed things over, at least saying farewell. But perhaps when we look at the whole letter, which we won't do at this moment, but we see that that's not what's going on as much as the father is giving advice to his son. You say, wait a minute, I didn't think Paul had any children. We don't have that on record. No, this is his spiritual father. This is parenthood in the spirit. This is what it looks like to pass on the faith and then encourage someone in the faith. 
And the Apostle Paul uses a grandmother and a mother to anchor Timothy. Because they passed on their faith to their son. From grandma to mother to grandson. And you'll see in the language, if we can just look together, even in verse 1, that bringing forward family, bringing forward life is laden in this language. Beginning in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. God, by His grace, has given mothers the ability to bring forward life. And we see right from the beginning that we have life not only in the natural, but in and through Jesus Christ. Who is this letter then to? To Timothy. Who is what? My beloved child. Again, this letter is beginning to illuminate for us. God has family in mind. God looks at relationships. God is interested very keenly in the personal side of our life. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. We're getting a sense now that there's family in view. Even to make that more clear, verse 3, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Mothers, would you say amen? You say, what am I saying amen for? For remembering your children constantly in your prayers night and day, and adding to that your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. You understand now that while we're talking of Paul to Timothy, that we're really looking at how parenting works, how it looks when we take spiritual responsibility for another life. When you're a mother, you don't have the choice to take responsibility. If that child is born through your womb, that child is absolutely depending on you. And we thank God that he uses you in marvelous and miraculous ways. And he used these two women. Verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. He's speaking now to Timothy. A faith which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. How wonderful to be named in Scripture. How wonderful to be so highly esteemed that your work as grandmother, your work as mother has been noted in the eternal Word of God. That this grandmother and this mother, although we have a little bit, very little information about them, what we have is significant. They passed on their faith. The faith first dwelt with the grandmother, and then to the mother, and then to the grandson. What I want to point out is that all of this reminding is about faith. If you've been a part of our services the last several weeks and months, we have been hearkening on faith. Faith is walking not by sight, but by the Word of God. Faith we learn from Abram. Faith we learn from Sarai. Faith we learn from Abraham. Faith we learn from Sarah. Faith we learn from Isaac. 
faith that we were experiencing as we listen to God's word and then go. Pastor Craig then preached to us about praying. Although he didn't explicitly mention praying by faith, it's implicit when we come to God, we ask because we believe he will give to those that are asking. That's faith. Faith and belief are the same in this sense as I'll use interchangeably throughout this sermon. And then last week we hear from Brenda Lilly about going. Going how? By faith. That we hear from the Lord whether we go and stay or we go away. We are called to live by faith. Hebrews says it's impossible to live by faith. Faith is a conviction of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and faith even underneath that is a simple core of beliefs. What is it that we believe? And the Apostle Paul wants to remind Timothy of who he is by nature of what he believes before he calls him to do anything. Just look at the the, the line of logic here. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. For this reason. For what reason? The reason that he has faith. Based on your faith, I remind you to fan in the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hand. That the order and the sequence is purposeful. Everything in God's word is put together for our good and his glory. And he wants us to see that belief and faith needs to necessitate and needs to work with and needs to precede our actions. What we believe ultimately informs what we do. Belief is linked to behavior. So often as parents, we want behavior to come first. We just want our kids to behave. Will you just listen? Will you just do what I say? In the spiritual context, we're opining and saying, oh, I wish my children would come to church with me. As our children become adults, we say, oh, I wish that they would exhibit faith. And what we're really wanting to say, I think, is, I really want them to know Jesus and know what they believe. Because in then our core belief, our behavior will naturally follow. Otherwise, we really don't believe it. Otherwise, we're saying words that don't mean anything. Otherwise, we're just pontificating. We're just appeasing. We're simply saying something for someone else's benefit. But what we believe as individuals, what we believe as a body of Christ, we will ultimately do. It's our core. Psychology Today, in an article several years ago, wrote on this. Dr. Brains writes this, your beliefs influence your behavior. One of the most basic ways that beliefs can shape reality is through their influence on behavior. For example, if you believe you're capable and competent and deserving of your dream job, you're probably more likely to notice and seek out opportunities that will help you get there. Beliefs about your basic character, who you are as a, as a person at the fundamental level, can be especially powerful. Research suggests that while guilt, that's the feeling that you did a bad thing, can motivate self-improvement, shame, which is feeling like you're a bad person, tends to create a self-fulfilling prophecy, reduces your hope and undermines your effort to change. For example, in this one study, children who were told they were helpful people 
for doing something generous, like they donated some things. They were later found to be more generous, more altruistic in their behavior than were the children who were told, you did a nice job, or the children who were not even given any praise. In other words, God is interested in reminding us, and I'm interested in reminding you of who you are. And believing in who you are emanates from believing who God is because you were made in his image. Over the last 20, 30 years, the self-help section of the bookstores, which we no longer go to physically but online, were filled with how you can become a better person. And the idea was that if you just look to yourself, if you just look to five ways, ten ways, ten techniques, you can become a better person. The biblical understanding of who we are emanates from understanding who God is. Because as you understand who he is, you'll then inherently understand who you are. And you'll understand how much we've fallen from the original image of God. That sin entered the world. And you'll understand that we've moved ourselves into rebellion, just as our ancestors did, Adam and Eve. And then we can cry out, God, bring me home to you. Father, bring me back to you. Father, how can I know you again? How can I be remade in your image? How can you solve this dilemma of guilt and shame? And God says, I have the answer. It's in a person. It's in Jesus. Believe upon Jesus and you shall be saved. Accept Jesus Christ into your heart and you'll become a new creature. And he begins to pour into us all these truths so that now we become aware of who we are. Because we know who he is. And we can continue to see that we're changed from glory to glory. We're transformed into his image. That God is not done with you and I yet. He is faithful to continue what he has begun. And so when we understand who God is and we understand then who we are, we can begin to have right behavior. And so often in our world, we'd like to start with right behavior and work ourselves backwards to then who we are. We have it upside down. Understanding who we are is, of course, understanding what we believe. Some of you have grown up in various church backgrounds, as did I. Can I read something to you from... 390 A.D., we refer to it as the Apostles' Creed. It states what we believe. It states what we believe. Timothy, let me remind you of your sincere beliefs. Let me remind us of what all Christians believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose again. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This is what we believe. And such that as we believe in the church and in the ministry of the church and in the soon coming of Christ, we could take the 16 truths of the assemblies of God and say of the same. Now it's a question, if we believe it then, we should naturally do it. Do you believe Jesus Christ is coming again? 
then it should impact the way we live today. Do you believe Jesus Christ died and paid for your sins? Then it should impact how we live today. Do you believe he's given you the Holy Spirit? Then it should impact how we live today. The understanding who you are is linked together with what you believe about who you are. And belief in faith, according to Paul writing to Timothy, is a really big deal. Let me remind you, Timothy, before I talk about your performance as a minister, before I talk about what you're doing that's good or bad, before I try to encourage your behavior, let me remind you of what you believe and who taught it to you. Where did you learn that faith? Learned it from grandma and mom. Can we say amen? You don't see a sports star up there. I'm sorry, Dad. When they're getting their awards, when they won the MVP, they're thanking mom. There's something precious about a believing mother or grandmother that forges in us the nurture necessary to want to receive Jesus Christ. That we see in her an example. That we see in her a life worthy of following. Of course, that's what Paul has in mind when he writes these words. Listen how uh, specific they are. I'm reminded, verse 5, of your sincere faith. A faith that you first learned from your grandmother. What does sincere faith look like? Sincere faith. Not any old faith. Not the kind of faith that says one thing and does another. Actually, in the original language, it's, it's really... Interesting, it doesn't say sincere as it were its own word. It says non-hypocritical faith. It defines faith by being non-hypocritical. Here's what faith looks like. Don't be a hypocrite. And then you'll be called sincere. I knew it would get silent, so I have a joke. A minister was walking down the street, and he came upon about a dozen boys all between the ages of 10 and 12. And the group of boys had surrounded a dog, concerned that the boys were going to hurt the dog. He went over and asked, what are you doing with that dog? One of the boys replied, oh, this dog, he's the old neighborhood stray. We all want to take him home, but we realize only one of us can keep him. So we've decided that whichever one of us can tell the biggest lie, he'll get to keep the dog. <laughs> of course, the reverend was taken back. You boys shouldn't be having a contest about lying. He then launched into a 10-minute sermon against lying, beginning with, don't you boys know lying is a sin, and ending with, when I was your age, I never told a lie. There was dead silence for about a minute. And just then, the reverend thought he was beginning to get through to them. The smallest of the boys gave out a deep sigh and says, well, all right, give the minister the dog. I don't want to tell jokes about you. I'll tell about ministers. We can be just as hypocritical as the rest. Being hypocritical in the Greek Roman world meant being a play actor. That's the origin of the word, to act as if we're putting on a role, as if now I go to work, so I'm this person. 
We have a different persona than we did at home. See, now I can get home. Now I can just be my nasty old self. But when I go to work, I'm nice and I'm serving everyone. And when my kids are in the car, I can be yelling, nah, 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 nah. and the phone rings. They're like, hello. Yeah. <laughs> and we've got these varying degrees of love and grace versus wrath and anger and frustration. And God's word saying, have a non-hypocritical faith. When it comes to what we believe, in other words, say what you believe and believe what you say. Link your life together with what you believe. Live it out. Be that person. If you say you believe in God, then don't be ashamed that you believe in God because it's at the core of who you are. And so this sense of being a non-hypocrite, being undisguised, unfeigned, being sincere, being genuine, Pastor Tim Keller writes this, young people are sensitive to any inconsistency. And this is the reason that one generation will leave the faith from an older generation. Children can pick up on our inconsistencies instantly. And as you know, they're testing us all day long. We thought the test and the exam was over when we finished school. But we're under test every day. They're watching and probing, and they're seeing where our inconsistencies lie and where our consistencies lie. And if we're consistent with bedtime and do not relent and do not give up, they will be trained to go to bed at that time. But if we get tired, they're like, I can't do it anymore. And we're just like, whatever. They will accept that one moment as the new consistency. And so what I'm proposing from God's word is not from me, but from him. And he's encouraging us towards constancy, encouraging us towards faithfulness. He's encouraging us towards enduring faith. And wherever you or I on this spectrum of having been hypocritical or being non-hypocritical, may God in his grace help us become true to our faith, sincere. Not only are we to be sincere in our faith, but we're to be personal. Going back to the text, let's read it again. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, verse 5, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. A faith that dwells in you. A faith that's living and active and is inside of you. For us of the born-again tradition, for us who believe in a personal encounter with the living God, it's important that we understand it's not speaking here only of being born again. It's talking about being true to who you are. But it certainly incorporates being born of the Spirit. Something has to happen inside of us if we're going to live out this faith. And thanks be to God, that's exactly what he wants to see happen. Oh, that we would say, Lord, come and make your dwelling place within me. Oh, that we would pray, Lord, I I don't want to just believe that you exist or believe that you're out there or believe that you might help me in the day of trouble, but I want you to come and reside in me. I want to know you and be known by you. A faith that dwells within is a personal faith. Becky Eldridge writes an article on passing on our faith children. 
she speaks here of the difficulty of passing on faith that's personal. Now, she comes from the South. She's speaking of LSU, that's Louisiana State University, and the avid football fans that they are. I'm going to read it as she wrote it. You substitute in the New England Patriots or whatever your great football team is. She writes this, Monday night, the LSU Tigers play in the national championship game. Those who know me know that I'm an avid LSU fan. Those who do not know me, trust me when I tell you, I bleed purple and gold. There's no doubt that when Chris and I became parents that we would pass on our love for the LSU Tigers to our children. As infants, they were given gifts from our family and friends. LSU sippy cups, LSU pacifiers, LSU blankets and clothes. Chris and I taught them our cheers. We taught them the pregame rituals. We taught them our traditions. Our children understand what purple and gold stands for. When they see a tiger, they yell, Go Tigers! In essence, my children have been fully immersed in this way of being. As parents, it's our responsibility to be the primary educators of our children's faith. This means that Chris and I are also charged as parents to share our faith with our kids the same way we share our passion and love for LSU football. Why does it feel easier sometimes to share our love for that team rather than to share our love for Jesus? I think it feels easier sometimes because sharing my love of a team does not require sharing deep matters of my heart. Maybe some of us can relate. But that's what it takes to pass on a personal faith. That at some point, Grandma, some point, Mom, some point, all of us, need to share with our children, whether natural or spiritual children, why we believe what we believe by sharing our experience. Until they know our need, they will not fully appreciate our salvation. They need to see that we're not perfect. They need to understand that we are not kings and queens on a hill that were never touched or blemished. They need to see that we are fallen creatures in desperate need of Jesus. How then will they cultivate their need for Jesus if they don't think he's to be needed? Pastor Keller writes of this subject. We are to link the doctrines of the faith to God's saving actions in our lives. And we are to give personal testimony to the difference that God makes. How he brought us from bondage to freedom. We were slaves, but the Lord brought us out. We're not only to speak of beliefs and behavior, but also of our own experience. We must be open about our struggles to grow and transparent about how repentance works in our lives. We're not to be overly formal and impersonal in the expressions of our faith. He also writes, we wrongly assume that if we instruct our children in true doctrine, if we shelter them from immoral behavior and involve them in the church and religious organizations, then we've done all that we can. It's not enough. It wasn't enough for Timothy. Grandma? We see most clearly in our homes. We learn who we are in our homes. 
we understand how needed the faith is in our home. Non-hypocritical faith, personal faith, and lastly, scriptural faith. Turn to 2 Timothy 3 and verse 14. same book, 2 Timothy, just a little later in the letter. 2 Timothy 3, we'll begin in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. Let's pause there. We, we know Paul's writing the letter. He's writing it to Timothy. He's talking about his faith even before actions and behavior. And he says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. Who's he learned it from? Grandma and mom. And, verse 15, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures, or sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. From childhood, Timothy, you knew the sacred writings. May it be said of our children and our grandchildren that from when you were this old, you knew the word of God. What does that require? It requires grandma and mom reading the word of God to their children. Nothing can replace you reading the scriptures to your children and grandchildren in the home. Not one sermon that they'll receive from me, not one Thursday night unshakable program with Pastor Jason, not one thing we can do will compare to you. God has blessed you and anointed you and specifically placed you, strategically placed you to be the chief trainer. You thought you were the cook, bottle washer, and all that. I don't want to make your life more difficult. We just need to add one more sphere of influence. From childhood, you knew the sacred writings. What humbles me greatly is I think on Mother's Day, and some of you know my story, my mother was conceived, conceived me out of wedlock and was given that choice to keep the baby or abort the baby. And she kept me. So every Mother's Day, I'm completely humbled. And it's important for you to tell the story to your children as my mother told me at the appropriate age. She didn't tell me that until I was 18. So yes, you need to pass on faith. But I'll tell you this, my mother started reading the scripture to me long before I was 18. When she became born again, when I was at age four, she began sharing the word of God so that I prayed the sinner's prayer at age five. And she wouldn't stop. And when you become seven and eight and nine, it's like, okay, mom, let's cool it off here. All my kids are coming over to the, you know, friends are coming over to the house to play. They don't need to be evangelized. She's playing the piano and singing gospel songs, handing out popsicles. You're like, you're getting a little embarrassed. By the time you're 10 or 11, you're like, it's Halloween, just give them the candy. Cut it out with the gospel tracks and the I Love Jesus pencils. 
Just my friends are coming to my house, put out the candy. So we made a deal, put out the candy and the Christian literature. She was living out sincere faith because she knew where she'd been saved from. And she took it upon herself to pass on the faith by reading the scripture. What humbles me, not only in my story, is that the same word for since you were a child also refers to the unborn. That in Luke's gospel, Elizabeth was with child and the child leapt in her womb and she heard the birth of Jesus. That same word for child leapt in her womb is the same Greek word here. What I'm saying is God wants the unborn to hear the word. As soon as you conceive life in your womb, start reading the word. Read the word out loud and your child will hear your word. And the power of the living word of God will come to that child. Will begin to make room in their heart to hear and to know the one who wrote those words. Our God, I encourage you, wherever you are in this journey of faith, grandma, mother, read the word. In my education, I learned that children learn how to read, not so much even from having us read stories to them, but by seeing us read. Your child will become a reader when they see you be a reader. Surprise. They imitate. So if you're saying, I don't know, my child is they're grown up, I don't know if they're going to sit down and listen to the word, I'm going to ask you to start here, and everyone should start here. Read the word in your home. You get your chair, your cup of coffee, adjust the lamp and the lighting and the, and the heater and the fan, whatever you need. But when the child walks past you, they're going to say, hmm, look at what mom's doing. She's got that Bible open again. And they'll come back another time. She's still in that same book. They're still in that same book. I wonder if there's anything good in there. And you're setting that tone and that example by reading the scripture publicly, which now looks like what now? Unhypocritical, sincere, unscriptural faith. Reading the word to our children, even to the unborn. How do we apply this? How do we put this now into some, some framework for what do we do now? How do we go forward from here? I love what Paul's writing to Timothy because it's meant to be an encouragement. He's not saying, Timothy, you're not doing these things. He's saying, let me remind you of what we've set out to do. So, Grandma, Mom, God bless you. May this be an encouragement to you. That if life has gotten confusing, if, if life has seen you gotten busy, that this word today may be a reminder to us of the value system God has. Live out a sincere faith. Believe what you believe and live it out unashamedly. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God for all who believe. Live out your faith, not only in a sincere way, and a scriptural way, but live your faith in a way that is personal. We may not be able to change our children's lives. We know we can't. 
We can model for them. We can set the example for them. But you will not win one soul, whether they belong to your natural family or out there in the world, by trying to guilt or shame or convince someone to come. But as they see Christ in you, the hope of glory, they also may be drawn to Christ, the hope of glory. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so I'm going to ask you to pocket most of your sermons, those ones you want to preach, those ones where you want to let them have it, those ones you want to tell them how it's going to be, and say, God, can you give me now a deeper personal abiding faith with you? Let me grow in my love and affection for you, and may my children and grandchildren see how good you are. May they taste and see how good you are. Because ain't no child out there who wants to follow Jesus if they see you and I as hypocrites. They'll say, I don't want anything to do with you. God, give us the grace to live genuine, to live out personal faith, and to live our faith from the Scripture. As we close, let's just think again about Lois and Eunice. We didn't really hear much about them. But Acts chapter 16 illuminates who they are. Paul was on that missionary journey comes to a city called Lystra. The grandmother's not mentioned there, but the mother is Eunice. And we hear that Paul encounters Eunice, who was a Jewish believer, which meant she was raised in the Jewish tradition, but she now believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. We also read that Timothy's father was a Greek which means that he was not a believer, nor was he from the Jewish faith. So now we have a situation in which Eunice married someone outside the faith. Maybe this can encourage someone here today. We go through moments in our life when we make decisions, and I don't know what was in her circle of decisions. Because I'd ask myself, why didn't she marry someone who was Jewish? Maybe she went through a lapse. Maybe she fell in love with a guy. Maybe he swept her off her feet. Maybe, but she was still married. And Timothy, therefore, was raised and couldn't look to his father as an example of faith, but had to rely on what was passed on to him from Eunice. And we understand that Eunice got it from somewhere. She got it from her mother so that these moms were passing on faith so that this son could see enough to say, I don't want to go the way of my earthly father, but I want to follow the faith of my grandma and my mother. So that when the man of God came to town, he looked at Timothy and said, he's a true disciple. I want you to join my team. Will you come with me? Talk about sincere faith. Timothy had to be circumcised as a young man to go. Ouch. But I thought this was Mother's Day. This is Sincere Faith Day. What I'm saying is there's a cost associated with all of this. There's a price that has to be paid, whether it's reading the Scripture in your home or shedding off hypocritical examples that were given to us. Whatever the cost is, Timothy played a high one. He had to go and get circumcised so he could go and minister. 
And I want to challenge you. Pay the price. Give up whatever needs to be given up. You've been graced by God to bring these wonderful children into the world. May God use you to bring them into eternal life by living a godly example. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's pray. Worship team, can you come? We'll sing a chorus before we leave. Pastoral care team, would you come? Say, what is this preacher doing? We're just positioning ourselves because some of you will want to sing with us and be dismissed, and God's going to bless you in that. And others, you need to come. God's working something in you, whether it's to commit yourself to a deeper walk with Jesus, more sincere faith, more personal faith, more scriptural faith. Whether you're grieving right now over where your son and daughter are at, we want to pray with you before you go. Confessing our sin, our shortcomings. Even saying, here's what I think I'm doing. Don't leave today knowing there's an opportunity for you to come and share that in confidence with someone in Christ. I pray for you now, my Father. We thank you for the worship. We thank you for the grace. We thank you for what we've already experienced through your word. Now by your spirit, Continue the good work you started. May you heal us all. Heal us from the poor examples we've received. And by your grace, help us set new examples of faith. Heal us from our failures. We want to repent of those times we've fallen. And we want to get back on the path with you. So that today, no matter our life circumstance, we can experience you. Jesus, thank you for these grandmas and moms that we just read about. We thank you for the fathers and grandfathers in this room. We thank you for single men and single women. We thank you for the body of Christ. You know what each one needs now. May your grace, which is sufficient for all things, come and fill us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing this chorus with me before we dismissed. If at any time in this song or after you want to come forward for prayer, you are welcome. This is open to you. Let's sing it.